This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Rosarium Blends. Rosarium Blends is an esoteric herbal apothecary and occult bookstore. They make their own ritual incense, enchanting oil blends, talismanic natural perfumes, planetary sigil incense, grimoire inks, erotic apothecary, alchemical cosmetics, and so much more. I'm a huge fan of what they make, and I often use their incense blends in my own rituals. They are so special. And each formula is a living spirit serving as a direct link to the inherent energies its charm embodies. Rosarium Blends is offering Witchwave listeners an exclusive coupon for 15% off your entire order, though this does exclude sale items, rare books, and other limited items. So be sure to check them out at www.rosariumblends.com and use offer code WITCHWAVE15. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Snowy Owl Tea. And I am so grateful that it is because they really, truly spoil me with their scrumptious tea blends, and they always send me their latest brews. My current favorites include Second Breakfast, which is made with lemon poppy seed and toasted oats, and their newest concoction, which is called Midnight Moon, which is an Earl Grey tea blend with lavender and vanilla. Snowy Owl Teas are unique, handcrafted tea blends made with real fruit, fresh ground whole spices, full leaf teas, and blossoms. They are created with your health and comfort in mind, using 100% biodegradable tea bags, and they happen to have some of the most beautifully designed packaging I have ever seen. Best of all, Witchwave listeners get 20% off orders using code WITCH. So order some super delicious tea today from www.snowyowltea.com. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. Lovely ones, spring is right around the corner. Saturn has just entered Pisces, which all of the astrologers I follow are saying is a huge cosmic shift, so get ready for change. And I'm starting to feel some highly promising new energy bubble up in my own life already. I know that technically speaking, we still have a few more weeks of winter left, but I've started planting some new seeds of change, and I'm so excited to see what starts to sprout. Over the past week or so, I've been focusing on a big writing project, which I was feeling pretty 
fucking stuck around for the better part of a year. And now suddenly the words are beginning to flow and my focus is sharper and it just feels like it is time and it feels really fucking good, honestly. Such a relief. I don't want to jinx it. It's still very tender and new, but already it's felt like an amazing new development. And I've slowly but surely been restarting some meditation and movement practices, which were laying dormant for me for a while too. So just good stuff all around. Speaking of seed planting, my friend, the occult poet, Jonica Stuckey, and I will be leading an online ritual workshop all about planting spiritual seeds and setting new intentions for spring. And I really hope that you will consider joining us. The link is over on pamgrossman.com slash events and also in my Instagram bio at phantasmophile. And the recording will be available for all registrants for 30 days. So even if you can't make it live, you can still have access to it. I'm also planting some seeds of support for the transgender community right now, which is under so much threat with all of these discriminatory bans and bills that are starting to pass. And so I'm currently doing a fundraiser on my personal Instagram page, again, over at Phantasmophile, to raise money for the National Center for Transgender Equality. I see a lot of parallels between anti-witchness and anti-transness and so many other bigoted, horrible movements which are currently looking to oppress and erase marginalized people. And so I truly hope that you'll join me in speaking out against transphobia and by donating to my fundraiser if you are able to. Supporting the transgender community will be one of the most loving and powerful seeds you can possibly plant this spring and in all the seasons to come. Springtime also makes me think of childhood, and on the pagan wheel of the year, it's a time that's associated with youth and innocence and whimsy, and lately I've been reflecting on the magic of my own childhood and revisiting some of the books which influenced my burgeoning witchery. I recently reread my favorite witch book of my youth, Wise Child by Monica Furlong, which is part of a trilogy that I really can't recommend more highly, and it still stands the test of time. If you've read my book, Waking the Witch, and at this point, many other articles and essays that I've written, you'll have encountered me mentioning Wise Child before. I can't say enough good things about this book. Truly, truly, truly. And I've also been spending time with some of the magical anthologies that captured my imagination when I was a kid, such as the Encyclopedia of Things That Never Were by Michael Page and Robert Ingpen. I cannot tell you how gorgeous the illustrations are throughout this book, and it's also a really wonderful compendium of all kinds of fantastical subjects, so do check it out if you're able to track it down. 
And one of the housewarming gifts that I bought myself recently was I treated myself to a full set of the classic Man, Myth, and Magic series, which I used to pour over in my town's library whenever I got the chance. This is a gosh, I think it's like 27 or 28 volume series of all kinds of occult and magical and otherworldly topics. And it's just often pointed to by magical weirdos like me as being highly, highly influential on a whole generation of people. So do at least Google it if you haven't seen it before, but it is definitely worth getting your witchy little paws on it if you are able to as well. But what I didn't have access to when I was little was any sort of children's-oriented book that could have educated me about the practice of witchcraft or about what real witches actually do. And I am so thrilled to see that that's all changing now. And I'm incredibly excited and grateful to bear witness to a new stream of thoughtful, open-hearted books now being written with pagan-curious or pagan-adjacent kids in mind. Today's guest, Andrea Stein, is a real leader in this space as both a publisher and author of magical children's books. And as you'll hear, I was absolutely overjoyed to discuss her meaningful work, as well as some of the challenges of creating children's witchcraft content for a modern audience. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches. Patty writes, I have called myself a pagan since I was in high school, so about 20 years, and I know that while I'm not always good with my practice, it always comes back to me. I am extra motivated this year since we finally bought a house, and I can have the pagan room of my dreams. However, we have a four-year-old son, And I was curious if you knew of any small rituals we could do together to introduce him and include him, as I'm not used to having someone else with me. Any books you could recommend for him would also be much appreciated. Thank you so much for all that you do, and blessed be. Hi, Patty. First of all, huge congratulations on your house and on your pagan room of your dreams. My goodness, that sounds wonderful. Now, as you've probably already heard by my intro, you are in such luck because today's episode is going to give you a whole towering list of pagan and pagan adjacent books that I think you and your four-year-old are just going to adore. So just a huge ringing endorsement up front for the books that you're about to hear all about from Moondust Press. But I wanted to add two other book recommendations, more for you than for your son directly. The first of these is a real classic in this space, and it's called Circle Round, Raising Children in Goddess Traditions, which is by witch legend and recent witch wave guest Starhawk, as well as Diane Baker and Anne Hill. 
Now, this book came out in the year 2000, and I confess it's been a while since I've spent time with it, so there may be some dated language and such in there. I'm really not sure. Just keep in mind it was published, you know, 23 years ago. But at the time it came out, it was a book that was very, very beloved to lots of magically-oriented families, so I imagine that would be helpful for you too. I also want to give another shout out to The Little Witch's Book of Spells by Ariel Cusby. Now, this is for a bit older of a reader or an audience, but I still think that there are spells and activities in there that you can share or adapt for your son. And the illustrations are just so beautiful, too, so really fun for him to look at. I got to interview Ariel a couple years back on a bonus Witchwave Plus episode. So if you happen to be a Witchwave Patreon backer, you can go back and listen to that. Ariel also now has an Etsy shop called Little Witchery, where she sells all kinds of supplies and craft kits for witchy little kids. So be sure to check that out too. The handle over there is Little Witchery Shop all one word. And I'll just add my own thoughts here that a simple way that you can introduce your practice to your son is to do activities which celebrate the changing of the seasons and the pagan holidays, and to also consider introducing him to the idea of gratitude magic. Maybe you can start a practice with him where you list some things that you are grateful for together and then leave an offering of thanks somewhere for spirit. It can be something you do outside or at an altar. It can be spontaneous or it can be something that you plan to do on a certain schedule that works for you. But regardless, I think it's a truly beautiful and transformative way of introducing appreciation and spiritual connection to someone of any age. I would love to hear what you come up with, so do let me know, and I'm wishing lots of love and lots of magic to you and your little one. Now, on to my guest. Andrea Stein is a children's book author and the owner of Moon Dust Press, an independent publisher of magical books for kids. As a mother of three and practicing pagan witch herself, Andrea is committed to creating resources for kids in earth-based households and changing the narrative around witchcraft in children's literature. Andrea started writing books about witchcraft for kids in 2019 and has since made it her full-time job creating her own books and publishing other authors and illustrators through Moondust Press. She also publishes magical worksheets and has a kids podcast called Mini Magic. Now, as a quick heads up, even though Andrea and I talk about magical kids content, what you're about to hear is an adult conversation and not intended for children. Andrea joined me from her home in Austin, Texas via Zoom. Andrea Stein, welcome to The Witch Wave. Thank you so much for having me. 
I'm so excited to have you here because as you and I were just talking about before we started recording, I am so fascinated by children's witchcraft content, and I've been wanting to have a conversation about this a little bit more deeply on the show, and you were the first person who popped into my mind to do this with, so it is such a joy to have you here. Thanks for doing this with me. Thank you. I am so flattered. I have been a listener for, I don't know, four or five years. And when I told my oldest daughter, she's almost 10, that you asked, she screamed. She was so excited. (laughs) And the first thing she said is, that's how we found Summer Camp Island. Because (gasps) a long time ago, we listened to your interview with Julia Pott and started watching Summer Camp Island, which is her favorite show. And it is one of my favorite shows. Oh, I love Summer Camp Island and I love Julia so much. That makes me so, so happy. So let's talk about you. You are the founder of Moon Dust Press. You're also one of its authors. When you're describing what Moon Dust Press is to people, how do you talk about it? Yeah, we are an independent publisher of magical children's books. And for the first few years, I probably would have said pagan children's books, but I've shifted away from that and just been saying magical children's books because I started publishing works by other people that don't necessarily identify as pagan, but they all are things that fall under the kind of magical witchcraft umbrella from different practices. Love it. Love it. And what age range are these books usually for? So most of our books are picture books, which are about like three to seven, three to eight. We do have one board book, which is more of a baby book, like a zero to four. It's an ABC book. And then we're working on our first middle grade book right now, which is an eight to 12, but they don't really have a high age range. I find picture books and children's books incredibly useful as an adult. Okay. So right off the bat, I have to say that I am a 42-year-old person. I do not have children. I love children's books. Whenever you send me books, I am so happy. I just love them for me, though I do give them away sometimes as gifts. I also think there's no like age limit for the books that you make, but it's great to know what audience it's appropriate for. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about your board book, C is for Coven. This is for the littlest kids. I adore this book so much. Can you recite or read the beginning of it for us? Yeah. So it's an ABC book and it just jumps right in with kind of A is for, B is for. So it's A is for altar set up in my room, stones, figurines, and a small bundled broom. B is for besom, that broom's magic name for clearing a space with intention and aim. C is for coven, a circle of trust. Conjuring energy, potent and just. Beautiful. And then it goes on from there. So I'm curious which came first, you being a writer of witchy kids books, because you are also the author of this book, in addition to being the publisher, or did you come up with the publishing company first and then you started writing for it? I wrote my first book before anything existed. And I wrote it for my oldest daughter when she was in kindergarten. So she was five. And I had been looking for witchy pagan children's books for her for her whole life, pretty much at that point. And there were some things out there 
but there wasn't really anything new coming out and most things were kind of dated. So I wrote that book for her, that book, Brina, and I very quickly, once I kind of took it to social media, realized how many other parents were looking for the exact same thing and kind of came up with the Modest Press name and turned it into a company. But for those first two and a half, three years, I was just publishing my own books, those first two books, Brina and Sia's for Kevin. I love Brina as well. This is a beautiful book where a young girl, she's interested in being a witch or interested in being magical. And you kind of walk us through the different types of witches there are and the different types of witches she can be. I also love the fact that Brina, in your book, the illustrated depiction of her, she's a black child, you know, and this is something that you've carried through with a lot of the different authors and illustrators that you work with. It seems to me to be top of mind for you to make sure you're showing lots of different representations of children. You show people of different body types, people of all genders, people of different backgrounds, skin tones, different abilities. So I'd love to also hear about what made you want to center that in the books that you put out too. Yeah, it's very top of mind. I think not just for me, but for the entire children's publishing industry as a whole. We have had some very sobering statistics over the past few years about what representation looks like in picture books and in illustration. And it's overwhelmingly white. And then after white children, it's overwhelmingly animals and um, anthropomorphic animals. And people, I think, tend to go to that because they think anyone can relate to this. If we just make it a puppy, then like any child can see themselves in it. But that's not really true. Kids need to see actual depictions of themselves. And that's kind of my whole shtick with publishing in general is that I want pagan kids to be able to see themselves in books. And pagan, magical, witchy kids come from all different sorts of families. I got a ton of asks in the beginning for a book with a boy main character. So now we have one with a boy. We have also books that just include boys and men and non-binary people. And it's definitely top of mind with Brina. So Brina was first and she's a black girl. We are in the process of redoing it. I got feedback from a really amazing local woman who practices hoodoo. And she pointed out to me that, yes, it does cover, you know, different types of witchcraft. And when I conceptualized it, I thought those were really broad. You know, she's a kitchen witch, she's a green witch, et cetera. And it was pointed out to me that we left out some more traditionally Black ways of practicing magic. We don't talk about hoodoo or voodoo. We don't talk about Santeria. We don't talk about Brujeria. So we are going back in and adding a bunch of stuff in with cultural consultants. The book's going to be much longer. So that one has been out of stock for a little while while we kind of retool it with an eye specifically towards making sure it's inclusive and diverse, but also authentic. Mm. Oh, well, first of all, I really admire you for taking that feedback and being like, great, let's make this even better instead of being defensive about it. And I could totally see how this book could be even richer and more expansive. 
And also, I really appreciate the fact that you're now working with a lot of other authors and illustrators from different lived experiences to tell their own story. I mean, I'm thinking of Casita Brujita, which is this Latinx magical book. And can you tell me a little bit about how that came to be? Yeah. So that came through my first open submission period. The author, Andrea, she's actually local. She's also in Austin. And she had written a book about her practice with her kids. It's actually about her kids and they're named in the book. It was perfect and exactly what I was looking for. We matched her with an illustrator, Cynthia, who lives in Mexico and who also practices witchcraft. And she was so excited about it. Being able to put in those little things, how do you want the house to look? I said, I don't know. It's, this isn't my area of expertise. How do you want it to look? I like being able to have illustrators, especially in place that are able to interpret things artistically with their own authentic experience. Beautiful, beautiful. So listen, I want to circle back to an earlier question. You know, you were talking about how you wanted to write the books that you wished existed in the world for your own children. So I'm wondering, as to your own background, were you raising your kids with some identity of being pagan or were they more asking for this? Are you just interested in witches a little bit more broadly? How did you come to this material yourself? My practice of witchcraft is very entwined in my parenting because they developed around the same time. I was a very young single mom. I had my daughter when I was 20 years old. And I was freshly out of a domestic violence relationship. Mm. And I had always kind of had an interest in occultism. I was obsessed with Damien Eccles when I was in high school and he was on death row. <laughs> yes, yes. I had never really practiced anything. I read a lot of books about paganism. I was like armchair occultism. But I found myself at that point with a baby in a situation where I really had to protect myself and her. I did what I could legally and I felt like I only could turn to what I could do spiritually. So that was the first time I really started practicing anything more out of necessity. And those things kind of just stayed together, right? That's still a lot of the work that I'm doing. And a lot of the work I'm doing with my kids is protection based. First of all, I just want to say that I'm so sorry that you went through that. And I am so happy for you that you seem to have found your way into a safer, happier life for you and for your family. I would love to know if you feel comfortable sharing what sorts of magic you were gravitating towards at that period. Immediately, like binding related things, cord cutting, protection of my home cleansing a lot of really gross spiritual baths, mm -hmm, not pretty mm -hmm. witchy baths with candles, like pouring things over myself in buckets. And my freezer was very full. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Anything at, at that point, I still felt very new and I was learning anything to me that seemed like it would keep a person away from me or stop a person. At that point, you know, it was nothing Painful. I was too scared to get into anything like hexes or curses. I was really just trying to protect myself. Yes. Warding, mm -hmm. braids. I used a lot of like braid and not magic and my hair. Ah, love. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. So then jumping forward, 
you find yourself with this young daughter. And did you find yourself teaching her about magic or paganism or whatever language? Or was she just kind of picking up on it because it was in your home? Yeah, it was more that she was just around. And I didn't really hide what I was doing, especially as a single mom. We lived in a very small space, the two of us, and I would have tarot cards or I'd have a candle lit or she'd see what I was doing. And I think all little kids naturally gravitate towards anything you're doing, right? They want to do it and they want to help. But I think they're very naturally inclined to magic and curious. Yeah. So... Yeah, she picked it up very quickly and she wanted to know what I was doing. But then we kind of reached the point where I realized I needed to create the book because for kids, it's really hard to separate the magic and witches that they're seeing on TV and in movies and in books with real witchcraft. So it was like a two-pronged approach of being like, yes, magic is real. Witchcraft is real. That's what I'm doing. That's what I call this. But no, it looks nothing like what you have been told it looks like or what you've seen. And it's not even necessarily for the same means. Ah, exactly. Exactly. Let's pause there for a moment because that brings up a lot of other questions for me. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab is a specialty fragrance house currently celebrating its 20th year, now based in Philadelphia. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab specializes in formulating body and household blends with a dark, romantic, gothic tone. And over the years, they've collaborated with so many of my heroes, including Neil Gaiman, Guillermo del Toro, and the Jim Henson Company. They continually return to inspirations drawn from history, mythology, literature, pop culture, and fine art. And they have a sister store called Twilight Alchemy Lab that creates oils blended and consecrated specifically for use in witchcraft and ritual magic. Keep up with their latest seasonal perfume releases by looking them up on social media. And Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab also now has a YouTube channel where they share scent reviews, announcements, and original video art. Perfume archives and customer reviews going back many years can be found at the fanrun bpal.org web forum. And of course, you can order all of Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab's decadent perfumes, oils, and more at blackphoenixalchemylab.com. The Witch Wave is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I love getting to learn new things. I'm an insatiably curious person, and that's one of the reasons I love doing this show. But I also love learning new things about myself and growing and challenging my own ideas about who I am in ways that benefit me and help me become an even better, more intentional version of myself. Now, I've lived in New York City for the majority of my life and for all of my adult life, and I have never owned a car here, and I've always been terrified of driving in the city. But over the last year, Matt and I bought this little house upstate, and so we had to buy a car to get to it. 
And I really committed to facing my fear and to adding this skill set to my life. You know, I used to drive all the time when I was a teenager in New Jersey, and I will drive outside of the city pretty comfortably. But driving in New York City to get to somewhere else has been this huge hurdle. That's why I'm so proud that I really took the time to interrogate my fears in therapy and In addition to some magical support that I developed for myself, I was able to learn that this is something that even though I was really terrified of it, I was capable of changing, I was capable of evolving, and now I drive in and out of the city with a lot more confidence and a lot more frequency. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. Growth and change is good, even if it's uncomfortable. And therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding. Because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way that we do until we talk through things. Talking through my own anxiety and fears, not only about driving in New York City, but about life in general, has been such a key aspect to keeping myself healthy and evolving in positive new ways. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. And no matter what your current issues are, your fears, your phobias, the things that are holding you back, BetterHelp will connect you with a therapist to talk this all through with. So if you're thinking of starting therapy yourself, Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and has been designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge to make sure you're finding somebody who is exactly right for you. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash WitchWave today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash WitchWave. Hi, WitchWavers. I have exciting news. At long last, we have some new WitchWave merch available for you now through Public. We decided to go with TeePublic for our new Witchwave merch because it is a print-on-demand site, which means you can get different variations of the Witchwave logo printed on t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, magnets, notebooks, oh my gods, the sky's the limit. And the shirts come in different styles and fabrics and colors and are available in sizes small through 5XL so you can order whatever you'll feel you're most magical in. So head on over to witchwavepodcast.com slash shop. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Andrea Stein. So Andrea, we were talking about how Moondust Press came to be and why you came to write your first book for your daughter. It sounds like she was curious about the magic that you were practicing. And one of the things that I often wonder about, because I'm not a parent and I'm not planning on becoming a parent, though I love children and I love children's content, witchcraft is so rich with beauty and light and magic. 
And there's also darkness and shadow and death. And that's very much part of this dichotomy. I think it's frankly part of being a human being in general. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons I love this path. But I am curious for parents who might be wondering, how can I bring more magic from a witchcraft perspective into my family life and share it with my kids? What are the boundaries there, at least? And I'm sure this will vary depending on the parent and the kid. But have you kind of figured out for yourself, like, what is okay to share with her and then what you might want to hold back until she's older or let her discover for herself? Yeah. So I have kids. My kids are almost 10, almost three, and I have a baby. So kind of across the spectrum, but I don't have any teenagers yet. So I have gotten to see the difference between my almost three-year-old who is very light level interested in things and my almost 10-year-old who is starting to get more interested. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's very interested in mythology. She's really into Greek mythology right now. And there's a lot of really dark stuff that's coming up in these stories. She's reading Percy Jackson right now, but I also, she just has a bunch of Greek myth books and there's so much death and murder and sex and incest and topics that I wasn't necessarily prepared to broach with her, but she's asking questions about. And I think that kids are really good at self-regulating content, even like you give them a book to read and they'll self-select out if it's too high or too low a level for them. And that's kind of the same with magic. She'll ask about things to a certain level. And I pretty much only share the things that she asks about. I don't just introduce a random new topic. I follow her lead on the topics that she's interested in and then answer questions. And mythology and stories are a really good way of doing that. And we're able to say like, ew, look at this happened. And this was thousands of years ago, or maybe it didn't even really happen. And who knows? There are some darker things, just themes that aren't necessarily appropriate for children, right? And especially in terms of sexuality with a lot of pagan stuff. She's getting to the point where she's tweeny and going to start going through puberty and asking these kinds of questions. And I just try to answer them honestly. I try not to lie, but also I don't bring anything up that she's not already bringing to the table. Ah, I really appreciate that answer and that attitude. And you're so right. I think about just the history of fairy tales, for example. Fairy tales, before Disney got to them, they were dark and they had a lot of gruesome shit in them. And lots of kids today, they love Neil Gaiman. Like Neil Gaiman's been writing a lot for kids. And I know Maurice Sendak has said when he was still with us, he said some really brilliant things around kids and fear and darkness and how the container of story and fairy tale and myth can actually help kids confront some of these feelings and work through them in a safe way. So that's such a really insightful point that some kids naturally gravitate towards content that has dark in it, but letting them lead and letting them also stop when they want to stop. Yeah. And there are some very sensitive children that absolutely avoid those things. Some don't want to see a big thunderstorm in a movie or something like that, like that, where that's bothersome. My kids aren't like that. My kids are very interested in death to a degree where when she was younger, I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> a little Wednesday Adams over there. Yes. 
we're working on a kid's tarot deck right now. And people were really curious, how did you handle the death card? And it's composting. It's a garden and a girl composting. And I think that's a good way of looking at all of these dark themes. There's a message in it that can be child-friendly. I think the affirmation we have for that card is, I celebrate the endings that become new beginnings. Because it's not always death and darkness, it's the end of something. Yeah, Tara is a really helpful way to interpret all of those themes with kids, too. Absolutely. I'm so happy you brought that up. This is a book and a deck coming out called The Tarot Deck Mess, Intro to the Major Arcana. This is by Sarah Beck. I got a little preview of it, and I was so impressed by how this was handled. Because there are some cards. I mean, you have the devil in there. You have the lovers. You have the tower. And I was like, how the heck are they going to approach these topics? And I Mm -hmm. thought the author and perhaps with your guidance, maybe, I thought the way that the author Sarah Beck approached a lot of these topics was with a light touch, but also not censoring it either. Really all credit to her. She came to me with the book already sketched out and all of it already written. So she has much more experience and knowledge in tarot than I do. I've learned so much just editing and working on it because tarot is confusing. It's a lot. 78 cards is a lot to memorize and even wrap your head around. And breaking it down in these child-friendly everyday ways, right? Where it's composting, where the lovers are two friends dancing on the beach together. And she has the contrast there of the beach and nature and then the buildings in the background and all of these dualities. It's been so helpful for me as an adult. Yes. And just to underscore, it's not like this book shows the whole deck. It really is just the majors. It's not like you're going through all 78 of them in this project, though. Hey, maybe there's going to be a sequel with minors down the road. Who knows? Yeah, I hope so. I thought starting small, I mean, 22 is even a lot for kids, right? We did like a coloring book workbook that goes with it. And we say pull a card a day, which is the same advice that a lot of grown up readers are given in the beginning to start with a card a day, just trying to get comfortable with it. And there are also activities like sort the cards by emotions and all of these different little things to just help kids get comfortable with it. Yes. One of your books that really has a special place in my heart is a book that you wrote called What Witches Wear. And this really is a book about representation where you and the illustrator Taylor Barron are showing us that a witch can look like anybody. You know, you have certainly witches with the pointy hat or you have witches working with potions and so on, but you also have a doctor who is a witch, or I think they're a doctor or a nurse. It's someone in scrubs. And you have a scientist witch. And again, people from all different backgrounds, skin colors, genders. And so I'd love to hear about that book specifically. What made you want to write that one? Yeah, that's okay. It's my favorite too. (laughs) It's kind of my whole ethos in a book. I knew I wanted to do a color concept book. So it's a rainbow book and each color, it goes, you know, pink, red, orange, yellow. They're all matched up with different witches and different occupations. And it's that same thing where I wanted that message to be really loud and clear that witches are not living in the forest and going to eat you. 
your next door neighbor could be a witch, your teacher, anyone. And there are a lot of little nods to people in my real life in that book. There's a non-binary teacher witch. That's my sister. And the librarian is my friend Dawn, who gave this really, really amazing TED Talk on eliminating library fees. She's an amazing librarian. I wanted to show people that I know and people that have been important to me and that I'm in community with and show that there's no age. The age is important too. Like we have little kids up to old people in that book and that was important to me. And I just want to really shout out all of the different illustrators that you collaborate with and also the other authors of Moondust Press collaborate with because these books are so lush and detailed. I just have such a ball gazing at each picture. They're just stuffed with all kinds of fun objects and books and symbols and colors. So tell me about the aesthetic visually of Moondust Press. Do you see there being a unifying principle there? Not necessarily unifying, but when I read a manuscript or write a book, the very first thing that pops into my head is the illustration style and color palette. I love a limited palette. So a lot of my books, What Witches Wear is the whole rainbow, of course. (laughs) Other books work within a limited palette. So I will make mood boards or Pinterest boards and color palettes for illustrators and then give that to them. So they're going in with already what I know. And then I do the art direction all the way through. I think that's also just the best feature of picture books that you can tell so much more of a story in artworks. You can hide things in Brina because it came first. There's a bunch of little things hidden from both my house and Casey's house. Things from my daughter's room. The lights are the lights from Casey's living room, the illustrator. And her pet fish is in the Sunday the Sea Witch illustrations. So we always try to like hide stuff. Maybe that's the unifying principle. Pull that there are always like little hidden things and little Easter eggs and always more to look at. Yes. It's like a treasure hunt almost. I just love, love, love looking at the books, let alone reading them. I also just want to highlight you have two books that focus specifically on pagan holidays. There's Flora and the First Day of Spring by Kathleen Converse and Hannah Sultanova, and the two of them also did Luke and the Longest Night. Can you talk a little bit about pagan holidays and teaching children about those rituals as well? Yeah, I think this is the easiest possible way to involve your children because it's something you're already doing, like celebrating any other holiday. And kids get really excited about holidays, and it's really easy to plan activities and rituals that are centered around those. So Kathleen, the author, she's done all eight, actually. I think she came to me right at the start with all eight. She had at least four or five and ideas for the rest. So we're doing Samhain now, Sam and the Samhain Scare. That'll (gasps) be this fall. And we're doing the whole series. So... The books are really fun, too, because at the end, they have kids' spells and rituals and activities that she writes at the end. And I like having just that easy way because people don't always necessarily know how to include their kids. You can tell them that it's a holiday or the history of the holiday and what you're planning on doing and include them. But people don't always have, you know, like child-centered ideas of things to do. 
So that's one thing that she's really, really good at coming up with kids spells and kids activities that are short and generally don't include a lot of materials, but that are witchy and fun. Absolutely. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. Do these cold, dark winter days have you feeling a bit less magical? Well, there are tools to help keep your inner flame warm and glowing. Of course, I am talking about Mithras candles. These pure beeswax lights are inspired by the modern science of photobiology, along with ancient pagan practices and cosmic mysteries. Mithras candles are handmade by my mythic and scientific pals in Philadelphia and come in traditional golden yellow and sensual black hues with unique colors and collaborations popping up seasonally. You will be addicted like I am once you experience the gorgeous Byzantine hand-dripped style of a Mithras candle and their honeyed floral aroma. So go to MithrasCandle.com now and pick up the perfect candle for your midwinter moments. And Witchwave listeners get 18% off their first order by using offer code WITCH at checkout. That's offer code WITCH at Mithras Candle. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, candle.com. Would you like even more Witch Wave? Do you wish you could hear from me and my other bewitching guests on a weekly basis? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witch Wave Plus episodes, ad-free Witch Wave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. Rewards for some tiers also include magical merch and contests where you can win witchly prizes each month, as well as early heads up about my workshops before they sell out. And all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly online rituals and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witch wave witches around the world. So head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thank you so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Andrea Stein. So Andrea, a little bit earlier, you brought up your friend who's a librarian, and that immediately made my brain go to the fact that you are creating witchy kids' books in Texas as we're recording this is unfortunately a bit notorious for these book bans that are happening in libraries and school curriculums on a whole host of topics. I have to guess that witchcraft books for kids might be a sensitive topic in more conservative places and spaces. So have you come up against any challenges in your community when it comes to creating this content and also distributing these books? So not necessarily in my local community. 
I live in Texas, but I live in Austin and we are, you know, a tiny blue dot in a red sea. So I, for the most part, locally have been very lucky. All of our local bookstores are extremely progressive, but online is a different story, right? Where I'm doing 100% of my marketing and things are going out to a wide audience that isn't always my intended audience. So yeah, there's some negative responses and there are two types of negative responses I get really. The first one is just like standard. This is evil. This is satanic. You're sending your kids to hell. I got one recently that was like, your kids will hate you when they're burning in the fire of judgment or something. Wow. I got like a biblical death threat. There's a Bible verse that says anyone that leads a child astray should have a millstone tied around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. I get that Bible verse commented on things. So there's that side of it. And that's like the angry evangelical side of it, generally. And then there's the pushback from other pagan witchy people or atheists. And that pushback is just that kids should not be exposed to any sort of religion or spirituality whatsoever. And that this is just as bad as reading kids the Bible. You're indoctrinating them into your point of view. And that's the kind of criticism that I find worthy of engagement. I generally don't engage with people who are just telling me that I'm an evil, satanic baby eater. Right. But people that say that children shouldn't have any exposure to spirituality of any kind and that it's indoctrination, I do find that worthy of pushback because I think that is generally not always coming from a place of religious trauma. And people assuming that any type of sharing of religion with kids is the same as what is happening in largely evangelical Christian spaces, which is indoctrination and not giving them choice. Brainwashing and forming a cult, basically. That's pretty much the opposite of what I'm seeing in pagan parenting spaces. I know for my own kids and most parents that I know... My kids have a ton of Jewish children's books. They have Islamic children's books. They have books about Hinduism and Buddhism. My daughter asked for a children's Bible that I got her. I think kids need to know what their options are. Mm -hmm. I think so long as you're not presenting something as absolute truth, that there's no problem with exposure. So I think when people are open to that conversation, that can be better. Mm, So well said. I can tell you from my own experience, and I I don't even like talking about it too much because I just would rather focus my attention on positive, generative things. But when I get those kinds of emails or those kinds of critiques, for me, it often falls in two buckets. Like there's the sensationalizing, which is all the terrible stuff and the Bible verses and you're satanic, all that kind of stuff. Or it's trivializing. It's like, how could you believe in this crap? Mm -hmm. Don't you know what science is, honey? And so I go through that as a full adult putting witchcraft content out in the world. So I can only imagine when you're tapping into the world of children and families that people might be even more sensitive to it. And I'm really impressed that you seem to be like navigating that with grace and kind of like not letting it get you down too much. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I come from a marketing background 
And from a marketing perspective, I see those comments and I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to make a video response to it, right? Most of my marketing is on TikTok and Instagram. So the people that are going to buy my books and that engage with my content in a positive way are just more supportive. They see that I'm getting that kind of hate and those kind of responses. If I post, sometimes I'll do like dramatic, funny readings of negative reviews of my books because (laughs) Amazon just lets anyone review a book. You don't have to have purchased the book on Amazon. You can just go on and you can leave a review for a book. So sometimes I'll just get like random one-star reviews that says this is inappropriate for children. It contains witchcraft or this is leading children to whatever. And sometimes I post them and then without even me asking, I go and get 30 positive reviews from people that saw that and want to support what I'm doing. Yeah, there's a tiny but very vocal group that is against it. And sometimes when you hit the wrong side of the algorithm, you just have to log off for a few days. (laughs) That is such good advice. I'm going to internalize that for myself, too. So thank you for that, Andrea. So I want to talk about the future. What are some of your dreams for Moondust Press and just for children's witchcraft content overall? I would like to see everything become more normalized. I would like to be able to walk into Barnes & Noble and pick up a witchy children's book off the shelf on the religion and spirituality section with all of the other books. You can't do that now. You don't see pagan holidays even understood. My daughter goes to a charter school and they have been really lovely about letting us, you know, take time off for holidays or come in and talk about holidays. But every year when I mention the holiday, every teacher is like, oh, what is that? I've never heard of that before. Mm. I think we're moving to a place where that's not going to happen so much. Wicca, paganism, witchcraft, however you want to categorize it, all of these things, this is the largest growing religious group in the country by percentage. There are new people every day. We're at this point, millions of people, right? Three or four million people just in the United States that are doing this. And it's still so taboo. Mm -hmm. And I think that with kids, you have the opportunity to kind of reach them early and get them into an open-minded place where they realize that magic is real and that this might be an option for them. And then they don't think it's evil. They don't turn off to it. And when they get to a point of teenagehood, adulthood, and they're deciding what their path is going to be, they see it as a viable option. Absolutely. And so it sounds to me like also if your kids grew up to not be pagan, you'd be fine with that too. You just more want to present them with options and also let them know a little bit about what you're doing just in case they're curious and want some context for it. Is that right? Exactly. So I present everything from that lens of, I don't know if this is right. I don't know if this is true. I have no idea what's correct. This is what works for me. And I picked this as an adult. I choose it every day, actually. I continue to choose it. And maybe that will change it. I don't think it will, but maybe that would change at some point in the future. My practice is always evolving. 
especially the past year, I've gotten a lot more in touch with my Jewish ancestry and been incorporating Jewish folk magic and things into my practice of paganism. Same, same, same. I'm watching my practice evolve over a decade. I know that things will grow and change. And if any of my kids start following a different religion, that's 1000% cool with me so long as they know why I'm doing what I'm doing and that I'm okay with them doing whatever they want and that they're being safe and responsible. Do you use the word witch to describe yourself or to talk to your kids about how you identify? Yeah. I do. I always have. When my daughter Luna was in kindergarten, she had a boy come up to her at school and say something, something, and witches aren't real. And she turned on him and she said, if you don't believe in witches, then you've never met my mom. She came home and she was like so proud to tell me about it. Yeah, I've always used the word. I claim it. I love that so much. Well, listen, talking to you has been even more inspiring than I assumed it would be. And I was already excited to do it. I just have such admiration for you and for all the authors and illustrators whose work that you're putting out in the world. And when I read the books that Moondust Press puts out, I get tears in my eyes, A, because they're just really beautiful, but B, because I wish I had books like this when I was a little kid. I think I would have felt even more seen and validated. So I just want to say a huge, huge thank you for the work that you're putting out in the world. And I also want to invite you to tell people how they can connect with you and with Moondust Press, whether as readers or potential authors and illustrators. Yeah, you can find us. We're pretty much Moondust Press everywhere. MoondustPress.com, at Moondust Press on Instagram and TikTok. We have a Facebook page that I ignore. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to have two new books coming out in the spring. So the tarot book and the tarot deck. We're doing a majors deck and the coloring book. And then a really cool book called Song of the Elements, which is an elemental correspondence book by Jenny Blonde. Everything's always linked on our website. And yeah, no, thank you so much. You're so lovely. Oh, Andrea, thank you. And just to follow up the second part of my question, if people wanted to submit to Moondust Press, is that something you're currently open to? Or do you just have enough in your cauldron, as it were? (laughs) I'm getting through these spring books, and then I'm planning on doing another open submissions period. So I'm thinking it's going to be April, and it'll probably just be the month of April where we do open submissions again. I need to fill out a few more books for 2024, the end of the year, and then 2025. How fabulous. Well, listen... Once again, just the biggest thank you for the work that you're doing, the magic that you're making, and thank you so much for taking time to share it with me today on The Witch Wave. Of course. Thank you so, so much for having me. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Andrea Stein for sharing her enchanting childcraft with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witchwire. The Witchwave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. 
Our new Witchwave logo was designed by Thunderwing. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Lara Amtal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and give us lots and lots of sparkly stars. It really, truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchwavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider ordering my book, Witchcraft, and or picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which are both available everywhere now. And if you want more Witchwave or you would just like to support the show, please join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witchwave.